Hey, this is John Briggs here from Insight Tax and author of Profit First for Microgyms. And if you want to leverage your message to gain deeper influence and build a lasting legacy, you should be listening to Stories That Sell with my friend, Scott Ramage. You have the knowledge, the experience, and the talent needed to succeed. But in the day and age we live in, skill is not enough. Your story is the most powerful tool in your arsenal. This show will help you tap into that resource and learn how to leverage your message to gain deeper influence and build a lasting legacy. Tune in each week as thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and authors share how they built empires on the backs of their story. You're listening to Stories That Sell with your host, Scott Ramage. Hey, on this episode of Stories That Sell, I'm chatting with John Briggs. John is the owner of Insight Tax and as well the author of Profit First for Micro Gyms. John has an amazing amount of great tips for small businesses, not only financial tips, but also just business operations and how a business should grow. We talk about the importance of having very clear contracts, niching down, keeping your value and always be looking to grow. And that means business-wise and personally, there's so many things in here that you've got to hear. Enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody, before we get started on this episode, I want you to imagine that you have a team of virtual professionals helping you get massive amounts of work done from scheduling appointments, nurturing leads, processing payments, editing videos, creating social media content, and managing that social media accounts and so much more. The A's for Gyms is here to make sure your productivity skyrockets while performing tasks and roles you simply don't want to do or simply don't have the skills to do. We offer a wide range of services that will help you run your business and save money. Check out our website, www.vasforgyms. That's V-A-S-F-O-R-Gyms.com. Uh, you can book a 10-minute, super simple, no-pressure appointment there and find out what that's all about. And now for the main show, John, welcome to Stories Itself. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we, this is uh, this is fun. The second time I've interviewed you, I've interviewed you for another another uh, podcast for a, a gym podcast. So this is a little different. So why don't you just go ahead, tell people who and what you're about, and then we'll dig into your story. Yeah, so um, I own an accounting firm. We're about 35 team members. Uh, we grew it from just me as a person in a little 10 by 12 office with no windows. I'm allergic to the sun though. So that actually worked out pretty well. You know, I, if I go back even further though, so my first job out of college was for a door-to-door sales company and it was a really great experience uh, because I was the first person they brought into this company that I would say was still considered startup there in year five. And they never had a controller in the position that actually had an accounting degree. Boy, they made a lot of bad decisions. They were your typical company that just thought we can sell our way out of any problem. Well, those problems escalated. They could not sell themselves out of it. So they ended up declaring bankruptcy. And um, if we talk about profit first later, this was a great um, experience that I had that helped me understand managing cash flow is super important because uh, this company did $30 million in revenue wow. the year it declared bankruptcy. Wow. 
That's mind um, And so people sometimes are like, oh, I need, I need to have massive amounts of money before my take-home pay is larger. And it's not absolutely false. Um, so I learned that at an early lesson or uh, that lesson at an early age. I saw the writing on the wall. I was able to get back into my degree. Um, I have a master's degree in tax. And my neighbor at the time was starting up his own accounting firm. And so I said, hey, you know, I, I worked at Deloitte before. I have a master's degree in tax. How about I join your company? Maybe you need some help. And so he's like, yeah, that sounds great. So he hired me a couple of weeks in. He said, you know what? I think based on what we're doing and what's going on, it makes sense to make you an owner. And of course, at the time, I was like, oh yeah, I'm a this is I'm big stuff here. Yeah, I'm gonna be an owner. So he gave me two and a half percent ownership of the company. And come to find out, which I didn't know at the time, if you have an, an owner, you're not legally obligated to pay that owner if you can't afford to pay them. Uh, if you're an employee, you have to pay your employees. Uh, they have like first right in, in the, like a liquidation event. Uh, and so I realized I got played, uh, but I didn't see that until later on. Um, it was an interesting experience. Like I love tax. I'm super passionate about helping people not get screwed by the IRS. Um, like it, I, they're just really big bullies. And so I, I don't like that. And anytime I have a way to help someone not be bullied, I want to do that. And so I love the game. Um, I love how the tax code is complicated and there's lots of ways to play with that. And so I got that exposure, but I got to the point of that at that firm, we had merged with his mom's accounting firm, which wasn't a good business decision. So it's him, his mom, his sister. And I'm just like, wow, this is a very nepotist type of organization. Uh, they brought in a client. I did the work the few times that happened. I brought in the clients. I did the work. They were, I mean, they, anyways, it was just frustrating to not have work with people who cared as much as I did. And so I decided to go out on my own. And from there, like I said, I started in that 10 by 12 office, no windows. A couple of years later, hired my first employee, uh, which is super scary, by the way. Uh, we can get into that too. That, that was nerve wracking. The idea of someone's livelihood being res like, I'm responsible for it. And then we just add another employee and then another, and we kept that in clients. And so now here we are, uh, you know, almost 10 years later, 35 employees, we have clients nationwide uh, and we're doing really well. So you kind of learned some really hard lessons through your very early experiences, yet yeah. you still went into business for yourself. Was, <laughs> yeah. it just, was it just ingrained inside of you or... You know, me, I was, when I first got into businesses, I'm like, I've saw, I've seen what goes wrong. I'm going to, I'm going to do the opposite. And that was really like, I can do this better. You know, so many people think that was, yeah. what was your motivation? What was your mindset at that point? Um, I would say there was phases. So the first phase was I went to a very conservative university and they taught you job security was working for a large corporation. Mm -hmm. And so that's what they push you to do. That's what you're triggering for. and Everything appeals to you. Uh, and so you go. And I did that. I worked for a large corporation. I mean, $30 million in revenue, hundreds of employees. That's a large company. It went bankrupt. <laughs> and I realized I had zero control over the decisions that led to the bankruptcy of that company. How is that job security? And so that was the first observation. The second one then came with the accounting stuff. And I'm seeing this company ran, like, I thought he was like, oh my gosh, this guy's super cool. He's starting his own company. I would never be able to do that myself. 
let me be an employee, right? And then when he then gave me the shift of two and a half percent ownership, it's like, oh, now I'm an owner. Well, that's cool. Does it feel any different? It kind of didn't feel any different. I still, I still felt loyal to get my work done and honor the client's request and, oh, they're paying me for this. I should do this service. So none of that actually changed. Um, but then we got into, we merged with his mom's firm, which was a terrible decision. Like literally she had been in business for 30 years and her gross revenue was like $80,000. Oh. Like we can add a new accountant into our firm and we can give them $200,000 plus of new billables in one year. Yeah. She'd been around for 30 years. And so all we got was no revenue really. And she brought with her $4,000 a month of debt payments that somehow we took on. And then I'm looking at him like, wait, I'm doing all the work. Like, what are you guys, you're not even, you can't even sit for a CPA exam. I have my master's degree in tax. I'm working on it. So I then had that moment, like you mentioned, I'm like, I can do this better than them. And then I even looked back and I realized the president of the company, um, of that $30 million company, I'm like, I could have ran that better than him too. Like he was just a sales rep who got a stupid promotion that should have never happened. Right. So all those happened to me. And I'm thinking, dude, what do I have to lose? Like, I, yeah. So at that, it's like I eliminated all the typical fears that people have into going into business through my experience. And so I went in and approached it like I have, I'm at ground zero here. Nothing could be worse than what I'm experiencing right now. So why don't we go ahead and try this out? So you went to this conservative, this college that kind of taught like, you know, get the corporate gig in that, this life of, of comfort and just riding, riding along, which is never the case. I mean, I, I have seen over and over and over again, you're so much more at risk when you join someone else's flight already. And, you know, they can fire you. They can, I mean, there's just so many things that can happen. They can change what you're passionate about and say, you know, we're going to give you a new responsibility. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's so many things that you don't have control over in that environment. Did you, did you have people in your life kind of fighting you a little bit on your change? Did you feel any friction when you're like, I'm going to do this on my own? Or did you have a really great support? Um, I had really great support. And I actually think just of who I am, I'm, I'm loyal by nature. And so like when we're talking about this company that went bankrupt, I actually worked for them for four months without pay because there was the promise like you know we're going to get the funding in like they were trying to save the business after the bankruptcy and then we got to the point in the accounting firm where because i was a partner and they weren't doing any freaking work but they were taking all the cash out of the business there wasn't enough money to pay me what i would have been paid as an employee and so i went at the last six months of that relationship i went six months and i only got paid like 2500 bucks and so I went into this scenario and I like, I came home one day and I remember just saying, care, I just, my care is my wife. I said, I, I don't like, I'm sorry. Like I, I want to provide for you and I, I don't want to quit things, but I, I can't continue to live like this. Like, this is terrible. And they can't, they're not paying me now. There's nothing I can see in the future. That's going to change their behavior. That's going to allow the company to change. And she almost like slapped me and said, like, it's about damn time. You know, like, <laughs> you've been miserable for like six months. Uh, and so she was super supportive from the beginning. I said, I, I think I can do this on my own. I certainly can't do it any worse than what we're doing now. Uh, and, and it was interesting. The second I made the decision, it took about a month to get some the stuff up and running that I needed to before I left. But I remember like day one, I met with a client uh, as my own business. 
I did the work. He gave me a check and it was more money than I had received in the last six months from one client. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I got this. Yeah. That's, that's really great confirmation. I mean, that's, that's an incredible startup story. Like is out of the gates. We're running with, with some money. Um, what's been the hardest thing having your own business over, over the years that you've been doing this and growing? If I would look at every phase, I could tell you specific things if we want to talk about that too. But I think overall, the hardest thing is accepting that you are the most incompetent person in the business at all times, especially in a growing business. Uh, I, I never, when I first broke away, I never ran a business on my own. I didn't know how to make collections. I didn't know how to invoice. I didn't know like, all these things I didn't know. Now I hire someone. Um, I don't know exactly how to manage them. I mean, I joked about it all the time with her. She was my first employee. She just had a baby and she's going to be a stay-at-home mom and we're super happy for her. But we joked all the time, like day one, she's like, okay, I'm here. What, what do you want me to do? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> what, what should you do? <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and then as you grow and it's like, okay, now I don't know how to manage managers. And so at every step of the way, you are experiencing things for the first time. So it's constantly this like, experience of, well, I've never done this before. That's a really great and difficult part of owning your own business. The difficult part is a lot of people start their business from the ground and they do everything themselves. They have no idea how to delegate. And then, then they get people and they're passing things on and then accepting the fact that they're actually better than me <laughs> at what I was doing. And then there's this place, I don't know if you've had this, where you start looking for, you, you get over that and you're like, I need to find someone who's better at me than X, Y, and Z. And that's your whole focus. It's always just upgrading and upgrading. You know, it's, it's I think that's freedom in business personally. Totally. Um, I, yeah, I remember doing that. It's like, okay, who should I bring on? Well, they're not going to be as good as me at doing tax work. And now it's like, okay, we need to hire someone who's going to be the smartest person in the company who people will, they're going to rely on that person for the, for the tax knowledge. Now um, it's a good switch to make in our brains as business owners. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a hard lesson to learn. Like I said, it's so many people start from the bottom and they grind away and they do everything themselves. And then it's almost like a notch in the belt, everything that you do yourself. And then you hand that over. So now you have 35 employees. Are they all under one roof? Do you have virtual employees? How does your company look? Yeah, so we have remote employees. So I'm almost 50-50 at this point. Wow. I want to kind of, I want to spend a little more time talking about what you actually do because I'm super passionate about it. You, um, you know, you're, you said you're an accounting firm and you've mentioned Profit First. Before we kind of get into what Profit First is, were you always on board with that or were you just the, the standard uh, tax guy? I was your typical tax guy. I mean, I actually tell people in the, my early years, I was a price toot. If someone <laughs> was willing to pay me money, I would give them my fee and they'd say like, I don't know if I want to pay that. I'd come back with, well, what do you want to pay? Terrible idea for the record if you're a business owner, mm -hmm. because guess what? The people who don't value what you do are never going to value what you do. And they're always going to actually be the biggest headaches of your, um, of your clientele. So um yeah. Once, once we get past that, wait, where was I at? What were you asking? Oh, profit first. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I then was introduced through a program called Goldman Sachs, 10,000 small business, excellent program. Um, someone was interviewing 
like wanting to interview alumni people. And I got on and we got to chatting and she started telling me about this amazing book called The Pumpkin Plan. Uh, and The Pumpkin Plan is a book that teaches business owners a framework on how to become a big fish in a small pond. How do you niche market and how do you actually go after that the right way? Well, I really enjoyed the book and I found out that the author had also written another book called Profit First. So I'm like, oh my gosh, that sounds great. Let me look at that. Uh, I read it. I mean, it resonated from day one, like chapter one, I was like, my clients totally need this. And of course I was too naive to realize I needed it too. Just my clients need it. I'm, everything's going good for me. Um, but it's funny as I was reading his book, I'm thinking to myself, I should reach out to the author. Like I would love to teach this method to other people. And of course, at the end of the book, he says, we have an organization where people can become certified in this and teach it to business owners. So I'm like, so the second I found Profit First, I've been all in ever since. Um, and yeah, we can certainly get into it, but, um, but through the relationship, uh, Mike has become a really good friend and he actually opened it up to some of us um, Profit First professionals, the opportunity to write a Profit First book for specific niches. So at this point, there's like Profit First for contractors, for dentists, for realtors. I wrote Profit First for micro gyms. Um, I bought a gym so that I can understand gym owner clients better. And through that process, was able to um, implement Profit First and see how it works and the way we needed to change it compared to the basic model. And so uh, that book was published um, like January of 2020. Yeah, I've been in, I've been all in ever since. Yeah, you, you several lessons you've dropped that I, I really kind of want to circle around back to. The first one was the, you know, hire up, hire people who are smarter than you. We've already talked about that one. The second one is, um, is, being the big fish in a small pond. I want to, I want to unwrap that a little bit with you because you are very unique in your offerings. Do you work exclusively with micro gyms or is that just really what you chase? Like, how does that look for you and how has that decision changed your business? Yeah, we are not exclusive for micro gyms, but most of our marketing messages go to micro gyms. Um, Cause that was a lesson I learned about niche marketing Choosing a niche doesn't mean you're saying no to everyone else. It just means your message is now honed to one audience. And guess what? When other people hear that message, the right people, it resonates with them. Um, so yeah, we, uh, we're niche. We actually have more gym owner clients than any other accounting firm in the nation, wow. including the really big accounting firms. Uh, they, cause they just honestly don't touch this type of work. They're too good for it. Um, and, you know, they're not 10, if you're not a $10 million company, you know, or you can't pay them $300,000 a year, then it's not worth it to them. Right. Right. So you, you've niched down your marketing message. I think that's such an important uh, delineation. Like you, you, you're open to serve other people, but you're, you're marketing and all of your efforts and your messaging go in this one specific direction. I think that's a, something that a, a lot of people need to hear. <laughs> I think I think there's the mistake of, you know, cast the broad net and see what you pull in and, and you just miss so much. Yeah. And I can tell you, like, it's one thing to hear and we hear it because I heard it for years. It doesn't matter. Even if you believe it, there's always that fear when you actually pull the trigger. There's that fear that's actually keeping you from pulling the trigger. Uh, and I, I don't have any advice for people other than you got to pull the trigger. Uh, there because it's not until you actually see the fruits of what's happening with your labor there, that you're going to 
actually understand, oh, wow, this is working better. Yeah. I mean, our, our, the quality of lead increased drastically almost from day one, from the second we started honing our message in to one audience. Yeah, it's so good. And it's so good to hear those stories because it, it, that's why you'll continue to hear from experts and coaches and mentors. Like you've got to niche down and you got to just keep going. Uh, another thing you talked about was price and value. And you talked about, you know, lowering your price and the type of customer that brought in. So um, I want to, I want to expand a little bit more on that. I think, I think people need to hear that over and over and over again as well. So how long did it take you to learn that lesson? And, and what was the, the catalyst or the thing that really got you, got that through to you? Um, I was probably about two years into my business. And at that point, with all the efforts I was putting into marketing, I got to the point where I was starting to become capped at how much work I could actually do. Right. And that's when the pain points of low paying, high maintenance clients really became a glaring, it's like walking with that rock in your shoe on a hike and you realize it's like a little pebble. It just feels gigantic. Yeah. Um, like a new client comes on and now that you're full, you don't even like, you don't have to accept the smaller payment because you don't have time for it. And so then you start asking for better pricing and then they start saying yes. Now all of a sudden it's like, oh, how am I gonna do their work and this work? And look, it, some people struggle with this. I think most business owners get it after a little bit. Um, I know non-business owners sometimes give me crap with about what I'm gonna, with what I'm about to say, but uh, not all clients are, treat, are created equal. Therefore, you should not treat all clients equally. Uh, you should treat your better, playing, your better paying clients and those that you enjoy working with better than those who pay you less and are not as enjoyable to work with. It's just for the sake of how you want to run your business and happiness, that's a good uh, formula for eliminating some headache. And then you, then you get to that point and you start realizing like, I, how did I even say yes to that guy? Right. Like, Because then they get mad at you. If I, I, you know, I raised your feet by $5 on the tax return, $5. How could you not warn me about this ahead of time? Are you kidding me? Inflation was $8. Like right. you're not getting mad at the grocery store when you go buy your milk. Yeah. It, it's uh, there's freedom on the other end of letting go of those types of clients or pricing them out of the, out of your services. Curious. Did you play with prices until it failed or did you, I mean, <laughs> this is a little insider. I know this is a big question, but I'm curious how that process works. Like where do you find that magic spot? You know, I, we still continue to play with pricing. I don't know the magic spot is because I, I definitely don't think the typical approach that most business owners take to figuring out what they should charge is healthy. That doesn't matter what someone else is charging for sure. You have to know what the market will bear. But if you want to be a super high-end, low-volume type of business, you don't need as many people. So like, while maybe the general market doesn't bear this, your ideal client will bear it. Now, that being said, I don't have anything against the model of like, yeah, we just have low prices. Um, I think it, just, it really does depend on the industry that you're in. But the most important thing is you always have to make sure you're making enough margin on what you're charging. And for me, that was the problem. I realized I was charging way too little because I couldn't even afford to bring on help even though I needed help. So in order to continue to grow and serve more people, 
I had to raise my prices in order to be able to afford the type of support that I needed. You always got to pay attention to margins. I don't want people to think like high end, low volume is, or like charging the most amount of money is the only acceptable model. That's not true. But what is true is you always have to have enough margin to be able to accomplish what you want to do. I know that profit first, you know, um, I'm going to guess a lot of the audience knows a little bit about it. Uh, what a lot of people know or think they know is like, oh, you just have to have a lot of bank accounts, right? <laughs> because the whole the whole premise is, is, is very obvious in the name is you pay profit first. So give us the 30,000 foot view of what it is, but then then let's break that down and talk about percentages and margins and things, because I think that's a really important conversation. So 30,000 foot view, um, we start with Parkinson's law and talking, referring back to this um, company I was with that declared bankruptcy at 30 million, they're, they're perfect poster childs of Parkinson's law. So the law itself states that the demand for something will expand to match its supply. The demand for something expands to match its supply. How does this relate to us as business owners? Usually we have one bank account. That bank account is a giant pile of supply. And the demand to use that supply will continue to increase until there's no longer any cash available to spend. It is human nature. And that's what these guys did. We'll just sell our way out of the problem. We have one bank account. Doesn't matter. We're just, there's money in it right now. So let's spend that money right now. But what we, I mean, we all know this as I sit back and say, let's take a step back and realize every dollar that comes into your business is not for your benefit. You have already made commitments and, you know, we voluntarily have to be forced to pay taxes. That's a commitment that we have. You, if you have team members, you've committed to paying them. If you have a landlord, you've committed to paying them. So when that dollar comes in, you've already have, you already have other commitments. And so all we're doing with Profit First is saying, let's take some of those commitments and, and take the money out of the equation and give ourselves a reality that we have less money to spend than we really do. And that's why there's multiple bank accounts. And I, it doesn't actually complicate things. A competent accountant, like it, it's actually not that hard because most of these accounts just have transfers in it because they're holding accounts for these commitments a tax account, the profit account, owners pay, good grief owners pay, too many owners don't pay themselves uh, and they just hope there's money left over. That's a big mistake. Um, operating expenses is the typical one that we already have, but we got to isolate these other things. Um, and then we always recommend just for the ease of the system, which we can get into is having a, an account for income. One account, its sole purpose is to receive customer deposits. It makes it so much easier when we get into transferring the money to the other accounts by having the income account. That's something new for me. That's very interesting. And that makes absolute sense. <laughs> yeah. Cause it, it does, you, you, you got money coming in. And I think this is the, the, the fallacy in the way that we live is that a dollar in means I have a dollar to spend. And, and so how does the, the first part in profit first, I mean, how I always, I always like to ask the question like, okay, I've got 10 K coming in this week or whatever it might be. Uh, and, um, if I take profit out first, which we know is the, is the way that this works, 
how do I know I'm going to have enough pay, money to pay my employees and my taxes and my, I, I need some new equipment soon, or I need, you know, I, my computer's going bad. Like, how does this system work to enable that all of these buckets are filled appropriately and, and not overused? Yeah, um, I'm not going to promise it's easy. It is, it is simple, but not necessarily easy. Because uh, in the beginning, we have to basically change a lot of the decisions that we made that got us into a situation where we're likely living paycheck to paycheck. So with the Profit First system, the first step we have people do is they do a cash flow analysis. So they're going to analyze, because whether we, you realize it or not, those things I've talked about, paying yourself, profit distribution, saving for tax, it, you're already doing that. You just don't necessarily know how much you're doing at, you know, to what level. So the cash flow analysis lets you look back over the last 12 months to see how much did you actually pay yourself and what percentage of your revenue was that? How much of the tax did the business pay? Because that's an important distinction for us in the system. Um, usually if you get paid, say you're making $5,000 a month, you take the $5,000 home. Most people then out of that 5,000 have to set aside money to cover their tax bill that's gonna come up in April. We say, oh no, the business, the business is the one generating the tax liability. Let's have the business pay for the tax burden. So when you take home $5,000, live off of the $5,000 and let's have the business set aside the money for tax. Um, and so, Usually people haven't been setting aside money for that. So it's a zero percentage, but you got to analyze it and same with profit. Are you giving yourself distributions? What does that look like? So now with the cash flow analysis, you can see this is where I was kind of like the before picture of a before and after. And then there's a profit first table. Um, if you're a micro gym, I created a table specifically for micro gyms. If you're in any other business, Mike created a table in his original book. Hmm. And what the table is reflecting is what is a healthy business at your revenue size doing percentage-wise in these different accounts? And so now you see, here's where I'm at now, and this is where a healthy business would be. Now that becomes the long-term goal. We're usually going to find something that allows us to move in that direction, but knowing that it would be impossible for us to flip a switch. So, what, so then we set goals. So maybe it's... Um, you never set aside money for profit before. Okay, let's start with 1%. 1% of your revenue, we're gonna start putting away. Uh, you're not setting aside money for tax. Let's start with 2%. Well, let's analyze what your taxes are gonna be and figure out what that percentage is. Um, most of the time, owners aren't paying themselves enough. Occasionally, we have to have the uncomfortable conversation and say, yeah, your business can't support your lifestyle. Um, but in most cases, they've just, They've taken on so many operating expenses that they can't afford to pay themselves what they should be. So we're, we're wanting to bump that up. So if they're like, well, I paid myself 10%. Okay, let's see if we can get to 15%. Now, in order to do that, then we have to look at your current operating expenses because those increase in percentages that we just identified have to come from somewhere, right? Um, and that's going to be the operating expenses. So usually in our second or third meeting with our clients, we go through all their expenses with them and force them to really decide, is this expense productive for my business or not productive? Is it actually allowing me to add more revenue? Is it allowing me to retain revenue? Is it improving the client experience, which then leads to referrals? 
or is it just a nice to have expense that isn't really affecting any of these other important numbers? And so when you're trying to increase how much you're paying yourself, we say no to the fun things and we are just gonna keep the necessary things. Right, but it probably means more fun in your life because you're not, you're not pulling from your own pocket. I mean, my very first brick and mortar business I went away from that. I chose, I chose to close it down. Um, long story, but at the end, I was like, I didn't make a ton of money. I made some money, but I did a really job or a really good job providing great income for about five other people. <laughs> and that's a really hard place to be. It's like, you know, I provided for, it's a great place to be. I provided for other people, but I didn't quite provide for my family. And I think a lot of businesses get stuck in that. Yeah, no, it's totally true. Uh, we're going to say no to the fun things in the business that we can't afford right now so that our personal life and the quality of life improves for sure. And then of course, in the long run, as you run the system for years and you're consistently following the system and analyzing expenses on a regular basis, you get really lean financially and really healthy so that you can later add back in some of those things that um, might add to the business environment. But man, in the beginning, when we're looking at you're bleeding cash. We, we got to get the tourniquet on and get rid of some of these, these cash outflows. Yeah. And this, uh, this process is not, like you said, it's simple, but not easy, simple, but not easy. And, and that's why when, when people ask me about it and when, you know, uh, you, you need someone to help you, you need someone to walk alongside you because there's a lot of disciplines that we're not used to having that have to be put into place. And sometimes from experience that, that making those initial decisions of how much money is going in here. And, oh, like, I thought I was getting a new computer this month. And uh, I'm not sure I'm willing to not get a new computer this month. I'll start next month because I'm sure that's a very common uh, kind of analysis that goes on in someone's head. Yeah, totally. We, we will always find ways to justify our expenses if we don't have a framework on which to like make a decision. Yeah. So that's what I love about the percentages is it, it gives us a good boundary where I was like, okay, 50% of my income needs to go towards operating expenses. If it's more than 50%, I gotta you know, get rid of it. I mean, I think you brought this up, but in the beginning when you start running this, yeah, most people think if I am putting money into these other accounts, like I can barely afford my expenses the way they are. And you're actually asking me to, to make that pool even smaller. Um, I don't, I, you should not discount the creativity and ingenuity of an owner. Mm. Um, I know this because I'm an accountant. So we, by definition are not creative, but you can find creative ways to keep serving your clients and growing your business on limited cash. Mm -hmm. You will find a way it just, it always happens, but you got to trust the process and do the steps. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. So let's transition a little bit and kind of just, let's talk about some, you've already covered some amazing things uh, that are pivotal in business that really help people succeed. So to review what, what we had uh, higher up, hire people who know more than you and um, boy, there were multiple, I can't think of right now, but uh, the importance of niching down was a huge one. Is there anything else that you, when, if someone were to come to you today and say, Hey, I want to start a business, whether it's a gym, micro gym, or whether it's an accounting firm or something else. Is there any other advice that you'd be like, oh gosh, yeah, you've got to do X, Y, and Z. 
if a startup person came to me, my answer would be, well, you definitely need cash coming in. I've seen too many clients waste time on getting the perfect business plan in place and they never sold. Like there's this guy, he had a phenomenal product and like took him six years. He, the whole, all six years he's working on this business plan. And I'm like, you could have just been out selling the product instead of like putting it together so that you can get funding from some sort of investor. Um, So like, get to work, get revenue coming in for sure. Um, The other thing that I tell people too, and this is definitely a scenario with accountants, but I have a feeling it it works with other industries as well. Um, You, once you figured out how to bring in revenue and you do a good job, uh, people start like your business grows. It's a natural outcome of doing a good job. So at some point then naturally you're going to need more help you bring on that new help. And now you're not super happy with that person because when you hired them, you thought in day one, it's immediately, they're gonna make my world a better place. Actually, it's a lot more work in the beginning to get them up to speed so that then both of you can run like faster, longer together, right? But for so many people that first hire, the first time they experience that, they now automatically convince themselves Life is easier if it's just me and I'm just going to be me and I'm going to stop growing. Like to me, what you're saying is I'm going to stop creating more value in the world. I'm going to now be content. And I just think it's an internal principle that um, we should always be looking to grow in whatever format. So I just tell people, if you consciously chose from the beginning or choose to have a business where it's just you, more power to you, but don't ever run away from growing your business just because it was hard to hire someone and train them. I think as an entrepreneur, one of the responsibilities that we have towards our community and um, economy is to keep growing because your company is better than all your competitors, right? So wouldn't it be better that all the people who are working in that industry work for you instead of the other people because you can provide a better lifestyle, a better culture, a more enjoyable living experience? I know I certainly feel that way about the big four. I think they're killing the accounting industry. And if I could afford to hire every single accountant in the world, I would. Mm-hmm. And so because I want to do that, it's my obligation to grow. But don't run away from having team. Just know that that's a natural part of growing a business and it'll suck And you're not going to be good at it in the beginning. And you're going to have to learn new skills because managing team is a different skill set than doing the good work that you were doing that was bringing in the revenue in the first place. But I think it's a skill that anyone can learn. If I've learned it, someone else can learn it. Um, So don't don't run away from growing your business because you thought your first hire was too much work. That's really, really good message. And I tell people quite a bit uh, that anytime you are going to scale, uh, upgrade, bring people in, there's always going to be front-loaded work. And it's not you doing it, and you've got to switch your brain into the mode of teaching and being patient instead of just the output that you're used to doing. And that upfront work is going to lead to massive gains in the long run and less, ultimately less work for you if that's what you're looking for. So uh, as you as a, as a business owner... You said something, you just talked about always grow. And I think that that applies to us personally as people who are leading a team and you definitely have a pretty good sized team. Uh, what do you do personally to keep yourself sharp, continue to learn, 
Um, is that physical? Is it mental? Is it professional or all of them? Or what are some things that you, you do to keep your, yourself on point? Yeah, I mean, the easy one for sure is fitness. Um, I think everyone performs better if they exercise. If we just, our brains function better, our body functions better. The healthier we are, the less medication we might need if someone's super unhealthy, right? And that medication is messing with your brain. Um, so I just, so in general, I, I definitely believe in that. But I also always try to find a mentor who is past where I, I currently am, someone who maybe done already done what I'm doing. Um, so I am part of a mentor group. Uh, it's very expensive, but it's super awesome because they're all seven figure plus business owners. Um, and they're all working on the same things that I'm working on. And then the mentor herself, she's an eight figure business owner and she's trying to grow to a nine figure business owner. So we're getting all this exposure to all the things that she's going through and she's you know two to five years ahead of us, some of us. Um, and then the other thing that I work on, which I, in the beginning of my career, I would have said, that eh, sounds a little foo-foo. I don't know, maybe not my thing. Um, I actually work with a business psychologist. Wow. And um, that has been astronomically beneficial for me. Um, as a simple example, I was bullied as a child and I didn't realize until working with her that that experience alone was causing me to make bad business decisions because I didn't, I always wanted to stay under the radar. I never wanted attention and I always wanted everyone to like me. Even if I'm not necessarily agreeing with what I'm saying I'm going to do, I just want them to like me. Um, and she, like literally in one conversation, we're talking and she's like, so tell me about um, your experience being bullied. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, well, everything, like, you know, like everything that you're saying that's getting in your way and all the things that you're concerned about, it's got to revert back to that. I'm like, well, yeah, actually, here's the story. Um, and so I've been actually working with her for about two years now, and we've uncovered a lot of mental blocks that like just past experiences in our lives put mental blocks on ourselves and being able to uncover those and just even recognizing that happened and sometimes that is enough to lift the block and now you can move forward without whatever was hindering the decision in the first place but yeah so for me that that those have been some huge things for our success and growth those are really cool i've never had somebody say having a business psychologist but that just kind of blew my own mind so that's really exciting um so let's talk about learning is your preference podcasts books audiobooks youtube videos in person what do you do to stay sharp in your business as well? I mean, you already men mentioned the mentor group, which I think is huge. What's what's what outside of that do you do to stay sharp? I mean, I, I do all of them. Like I think <laughs> like based on the time and season, the method of learning is more applicable. Like um, I'm, I like music, but I listen to podcasts in the car or audiobooks. Um, I, if I listen to a book in the car and I really like it, I usually will end up buying the book so I can take notes and then create like an outline so I can then train my team on it. Um, I don't watch as I don't watch as many YouTube videos, but um, I'm constantly learning. I, I'm on a few newsletter things so that I can stay on top of uh, gym industry and accounting industry changes and tax law changes. I, I hate politics, but one of the things about being an accountant is politics changes tax policy. And so I got to pay attention enough to know when people are making policy changes. Um, 
So yeah, I, I try to look for like, there's some form of education to help me with the industry that the business is in. There's a form of education that I'm trying to take on to help me be a better person. And then there's the others that are trying to help me become the better leader that the company needs from me. Yeah, that's good. Uh, <clears throat> so the next question is, is really about books because I think so many people rely on books and you've already mentioned two. I think there's probably three on the list you would suggest. It's Pumpkin Plan, uh, Profit First, and then a Profit First for Micro Dreams, but Jim, <laughs> by yours, you. Um, what other book have you read, you know, maybe in the last couple of years that's been really impactful for you? Um, you know, one book that we actually come back to often is Crucial Conversations. Oh, that's a good one. I, we read it, we broke it up into like seven, seven separate training sessions for the company, because I think it's something that it's skill sets that help us not only in business, but also in our personal life, whether we're talking to a spouse or children. And, and what's really beneficial for us is it's given us a um, vocabulary that as a company now we can all use. And what's important too, one of the reasons why we have to keep coming back to it is because as we keep adding new employees and we keep growing, we, what we don't know is that every time we hire a new employee, we've diluted our current culture. Right. And so it's our job to be purposeful in getting the new person ingrained in our culture so that it isn't diluted. Um, but we actually have hired so much that I, we probably have a, more than a handful of people who are not super familiar with the crucial conversation vocabulary. And so, yeah, we, we got to revert back to it and keep training it over and over again. You've said something that I'm really impressed with, and I don't know if you kind of just did this yourself or you followed somebody or someone else's advice, but not just reading a book and then assigning it a book, but creating a training out of it because that training remains evergreen. It's really hard to get employees to actually read a book unless there's something behind it. So I think that's a really good tip. Um, you, and you've already mentioned that for several books, which I think is phenomenal. All right, uh, what, let me, before we get to the last question, go ahead and tell our audience like about your business, about your book, let them know where they can get all this stuff. I'll also put it in the show notes, but this is your moment to, to tell us what you do and how to, how to get it. Um, so if you're looking for the book, you can go to Amazon, um, Profit First for Micro Gyms. It's on there. Uh, one of the things that we have, um, so we do tax and accounting. We have a great blog. I, I'm not into fluffy stuff. Um, I really just want to teach and provide actionable steps whenever possible. So we try our best to provide that type of content in our blog posts, whether it's tax strategies or cash flow management strategies. Um, but we did talk a little bit about profit first and analyzing expenses. So um, I have an entire chapter in the book on analyzing expenses. Um, the team has condensed that into like a one page summary. Um, we have nine questions that I suggest you can ask about every single expense so that you are 100% certain if it's productive or not productive. Uh, and so if you go to insighttax.com backslash wealth, uh, we have a free, um, this, this summary is for free. You can get it uh, among some other things. I think we have some bonuses on there, but um, every time we sit down with a client, we usually on the first sit down can find, find five to 10% of expenses that are not necessary. Wow. And every time the business owner says one of two things, um, I have no idea what that is, which <laughs> means they don't, they're not getting any value from it. And two, I thought I canceled that. Mm. which means they already acknowledge they didn't need the expense, but they're still paying for it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've experienced both of those before in my life. <laughs> Not too long ago either. So like what? It comes across and you're doing, you're going through all your expenses. What is that? <laughs> you find out, oh, I tried that for a week. Yeah, that didn't yeah. go on. <laughs> they, they kept billing. Um, that's that's great. So I will attest that uh, I was running a mastermind once and you came on and and was was part of that. And afterwards, I think about, eight business owners committed to doing some of the things that you had as resources at your inside tax site. And I followed up with them for a while and they all had great success getting started in their own profit first journey. So I would highly, highly suggest any business owner like micro gym or personal coach or whatever it is, zero employees, a hundred employees. I think it's just as important for all of you. So I, I definitely would um, say those are great assets that you have on there. All right, last question. I always ask, if you could go back in time, what would you tell yourself? Man, well, I tell myself everything that I know now so that I can grow faster, so <laughs> avoiding all those pain things. Um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, I've had to deal with a couple of legal issues over my career, and they're never fun. And all of them resulted in unclear contracts. You, when you create a relationship that requires some sort of legal document, you're usually doing it with someone you have a level of trust with. And too many business owners make the mistake and assumption that if there's any concerns, you'll be able to work it out when those concerns happen. And I can tell you in both cases, the amount of greed that came out of the other parties that were involved in my scenarios was, uh, I was blindsided by how much their greed would get in the way of logical region, uh, reasoning and years of friendship. Wow. Uh, so if you have to, if you're creating some sort of relationship that involves a, should involve a legal document, get it created and work through in that document now when you're happy with each other what it looks like if you have disagreements and like if you both want to end up getting out of the relationship at some point how do you do that agree to it up front so that you don't have to deal with the possibility of all the crap on the back end and the cost uh because attorneys are not cheap no no that's that's really good and probably would have given you a lot less stress <laughs> yeah yeah well john it's been uh a absolute joy chatting with you and you've added a ton of value. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Scott. Thank you for listening to the stories that sell podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, be sure to leave a rating and review and subscribe to hear interviews with incredible guests each and every week.